Williams was just 19 years old when she dropped out of Stanford University with a dream of creating a company that would revolutionize blood testing. She founded the startup Theranos and boasted her technology could take a pinprick worth of blood from the finger and perform hundreds of laboratory tests. And that sounds very impressive, what Elizabeth, impressive what Elizabeth Holmes came up with there, right there. Oh, indeed. Revolutionary. Explaining to America in, in her weird, weirdly low voice. There's a new book out about it, uh, the whole Theranos thing, Bad Blood. Let me just read a little bit uh, uh, from the New York Times review of the book. In 2015, Vice President Joe Biden visited the Newark, California Laboratory of a hot new startup making medical devices, Theranos. Joe Biden saw rows of impressive-looking equipment, the company's supposedly game-changing device for testing blood, and offered glowing praise. The laboratory of our future. The lab was a fake. The devices Biden saw weren't close to being workable, and they'd been staged for the visit. Such uh, was one of the greatest cons in the history of capitalism. And the book Bad Blood, about that very con by John Carreyrou, is getting terrific notices. And John joins us now to talk about Theranos and the book. Hello, John. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. So in your uh, looking into this, were you as amazed at we were at the sheer hubris of the thing? I was pretty amazed, um, yes. Uh, and then it dawned on me that, that uh, you know, uh, Elizabeth Holmes is one of these people who just has gotten in the habit of lying uh, and got into that habit at an early age. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. And, and it's resulted in one of the, the biggest scandals we've had in this country since Enron. And so we, we've heard a lot about this. We uh, we have it in our own backyard, Theranos, and Elizabeth Holmes was a you know, a darling of the whole thing. And, and as pointed out in your book, all kinds of heavyweights from around the world and celebrities and powerful people invested in it and all that sort of stuff. We've talked about this a bit, but the one question I haven't still figured out is at what point did she know the thing was a scam? Did she start out believing it was for real and at some point it went south or was it a scam from the beginning? Well, her, her game was always to try to develop a device and to, you know, promise the moon to get the money hoping that uh, the device and, and the technology would eventually catch up to, to the promises. And, and the problem is that the gap between those promises and the reality got so wide that um, it became a giant fraud in the fall of 2013 when she rolled out the Theranos finger stick blood tests in Walgreens stores in the Bay Area and in the Phoenix area. Actually, uh, they, they had a 250 test menu, and most of those tests were done with commercial machines bought from third parties. I guess the human interest part of this that, that, that I really like, because they're going to make a movie about this and um, all that. Like when she was giving her famous TED talk, where she's talking, you know, she's, she's, one, she's the, the female Steve Jobs. She's giving the TED talk. At that point, was she completely full of it? Right. I mean, that, 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 that was about uh, six months or, or it might have even have been nine months after they had rolled out commercially in Walgreens stores. And she knew very well that uh, at best they had 12 of the 250 tests that they were doing on a proprietary device called the Edison. Uh, that was a limited machine that only did one class of tests called immunoassays and didn't even do them well uh, because subsequently Theranos had to avoid all the tests run on that machine. So when you ask, was she lying then? Yeah, she, she, she was bald-faced lying to the public then. 
Interesting. You know, we've talked at length, I remember the Scott Peterson murder case years and years ago, about these um, pathological liars who actually enjoy the challenge of lying a great deal. And, and it has to get bigger. To, to get the same right. thrill out of it, the, liar yeah. has to, the lie has to get bigger and bigger. Do you think she's one of those? I, I think she's someone who along the way became delusional where uh, the, the lies, the, the sort of the line between the lies and reality became blurry to her. Um, and, and part of her believed her own lives. I mean, wow. if, if I were to do my armchair psychoanalysis, you know, that, that would be that would pretty much be it. Wow, that's way down the line. No kidding. So for folks who are not as into the story as we are, can you talk just a little about the the stature of the people who'd gotten behind this and invested in it and and, and how much money was involved? Right. So altogether, almost a billion dollars got invested in, in this company. And one of Elizabeth's tricks was to uh, year after year uh, gain the support of uh, powerful, influential people with prestigious reputations. Uh, the first guy who enabled her was her Stanford engineering professor, Channing Robertson. Then she met uh, Donald L. Lucas, the venture capitalist who groomed uh, Larry Ellison, the, the software billionaire. And eventually when Donald Lucas uh, started getting Alzheimer's disease in 2011, her next mark became George Schultz, the, the former Secretary of State uh, who crafted the Reagan administration's secretary uh, 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 foreign policy and, and who many credit with winning the, the Cold War. And well, that's an interesting choice. How, how'd she get on to Schultz? She, she was introduced to him by someone at Stanford, and ah. Schultz uh, lives in a, a big house right off the Stanford campus. And he also happens to be a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution, which is the conservative think tank that's uh, housed right on the Stanford campus. We were, we were just there a couple of weeks ago. They asked us to speak and actually paid us. We tell everybody that because it's the only time it's ever happened to us in our life. <laughs> <laughs> So other fellows at the Hoover Institution were uh, people like Henry Kissinger and uh, Bill Perry, who had been uh, Secretary of Defense in the Clinton administration, Sam Nunn, um, you know, former military commanders. And uh, uh, Schultz introduced her to all of them, and, and she lured them to her board with grants of stock. Uh, at that point, the stock was worth a lot of money because the, the peak valuation of the company was about $10 billion. Um, so, so these grants of stock were worth millions. And, and that's how she got the Sterling uh, board. And, and it gave her uh, a lot of credibility with unsophisticated investors. And eventually, you know, the, the likes of Rupert Murdoch and Betsy DeVos, our current education secretary, and the Mexican billionaire Carlos Slim, uh, the uh, Atlanta family, the Coxes, uh, who own Cox Enterprises, all of these people invested large sums of money in Theranos, in part because of that Sterling board. Sure. Well, that that that's the way it works. I mean, we we endorse products, and sometimes it, it'll be pitched to us, "Hey, this person's endorsing it, and this person's endorsing it." So we would think, oh, "Okay, well, it must be legit." They wouldn't endorse if it weren't legit. That happened with these investments, I'm guessing. Right. Um, I mean, that's, it, usually it's not the only thing you you want to sure. rely on when you're right. when you're putting some of your money at stake. You but also want to do some, it's a good some research and some due diligence. But right. some of these billionaire investors didn't really do any due diligence. They just looked at this, you know, uh, attractive, incredibly smart and charming young woman, uh, listened to her vision, uh, bought into it, and looked at the board and said, you know, this is this is an incredible board, and and I'll put a hundred million dollars in.
John Carreyrou is the author of Bad Blood, Secrets, and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup about the enormous fraud that was Theranos. So, obviously, uh, this woman is not the only person there and and her her boyfriend slash co-CEO or whatever he was. Who claimed to be an expert in something, but he wasn't. Right. Well, there were a hell of a lot of people working there. How did they keep the truth from leaking out in a significant way? Well, they they kept the company siloed. They discouraged uh, people in various departments from talking to to other people about their work. Um, And Theranos is really a a story where things went badly because of the top two people running it. Uh, In the course of reporting the the book, I met and talked to dozens of former Theranos employees. And I have to tell you that most of these people, if not all of them, were competent, smart, uh, people with integrity, and, uh, and, and this company was really uh, run off the rails by the two people at the top. Um, and how, how did they uh, prevent this, this fraud from leaking out and people from speaking up for years? Well, they had this culture of uh, intimidation and fear, and, and they had a, an outside counsel named David Boys, arguably uh, the country's most uh, famous and, and feared lawyer, and he was like a scarecrow. You know, he, he, he uh, scared employees uh, and enough that they didn't speak up. And um, uh, when, I, when I came along and I started digging into the company, uh, I, I had a hard time getting people to speak to me for that reason. Oh, that's right. I forgot this angle of it. You're, you're, you, you had them quite angry at you at one time. That's right. I mean, they, they essentially launched a, a scorched earth campaign uh, against me and against my sources. Uh, David Boys and, and his uh, associates came to the journal's offices twice over the course of several months uh, to try to get the story killed. Uh, Elizabeth Holmes even went to Rupert Murdoch, who, who owns the, the journal, uh, several times and, and tried to convince him to, to snuff out the story. Um, and at the same time, uh, they figured out who some of my confidential sources were and, and went after them. Uh, the, the grandson of George Schultz, uh, Tyler Schultz, had worked at the company, and he ended up being one of my confidential sources. The company figured that out and, and put him through an unbelievable pressure campaign. Uh, Tyler had to, to go through an ordeal um, and, and uh, you know, courageously uh, withstood uh, that campaign and, and did not recant. And as a result, I, I was able to go to press with my story. Well, what, didn't I read somewhere that they were chanting F your name at some meeting or something like that? That's right. Two days after my first story was published, they had an all-employee meeting in the cafeteria of the Theranos headquarters on Page Mill Road, right next to the Stanford campus. And uh, Elizabeth gave a, a defiant speech about how uh, my story was seeded by disgruntled former employees and by competitors and then her boyfriend, who was the number two executive at the company, uh, Sonny Balwani, stood up and led employees in, in an FU chant. And, and uh, uh, that expletive was directed at me. You know, uh, while, well, congratulations. Um, while I'm enjoying that, that lighter note, I do want to circle back for a second to, to point out for the good folks listening that one of the quote-unquote most respected lawyers in America, David Boys, was happy to act as a highly paid attack dog for an enormous criminal enterprise. Now, he might have had not have had the slightest idea that they were fraudsters, because a lot of smart and powerful people didn't. But uh, that's, that's notable. That's worth noting. I, which is I what notable uh, means. I, I, I'll, I'll 
say this in, in David Boyce's defense. I don't necessarily think he was aware of what uh, Sonny and Elizabeth were doing behind the scenes. Um, however, you know, he, he had a conflict of interest, in my opinion, which is that he had um, litigated a, a patent case uh, for Theranos against one of Elizabeth's childhood neighbors. Uh, and he had been paid, he and his firm had been paid for that work entirely in shares. Um, and at that point, when, when I came along and I started digging, uh, the, the shares that Boyce Schiller held were worth about $5 million. And so, so he didn't have just, uh, you know, sort of a, a legal, right. he wasn't just a legal advocate. He had a financial interest in, in fairness at, at the time that he came. Yeah, is that, is that kosher? He wouldn't get paid in shares if he thought the company was fraudulent, because yeah. obviously you're going to lose your money. Granted. Right. But it still poses the question of, of the appearance of a conflict of interest. And, sure. and it, it's, it's not clear to me that, that necessarily the, the bar uh, would, would uh, preclude these types of arrangements. But uh, to me, they, they seem problematic. You know, I've probably had people chanting F my name at various places, too. So oh, I've done it. <laughs> uh, John Carreyrou, who we're talking to, is a two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter at the Wall Street Journal, also the uh, the author of Bad Blood, the book we're discussing. You mentioned her being attractive. I've always thought that that plays a role in this. There's just something appealing about the girl-next-door-looking, attractive, blonde, plucky, you know, up-with-feminism. Ponytailed and, American, yeah, just, that's, blah, blah. That, that plays a role in it, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think it was a factor, uh, but honestly, she she's also incredibly smart. You know, th- this isn't an idiot. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, I wasn't implying that. Spewing, uh, you know, nonsense at, at people. She she was uh, she is incredibly articulate. Uh, she's got a very sharp uh, intellect and the vision, uh, you know, the way she presented her her vision uh, was very believable. Uh, and she had this charisma. She, her idol was Steve Jobs. She idolized Steve Jobs. She was obsessed with Apple. But he actually she, invented the iPhone. See, that's the difference. <laughs> she, she shared with him this, um, this trait that he had, this reality distortion field. She, she had this ability to make people suspend disbelief. Wow. Um, and, and so she was very, very much like him in that way. Wow. That, that, that's, that's interesting. But she had to know that this was going to collapse at some point. No, I don't necessarily uh, think she thought that. I mean, I, you know, uh, I've seen the, the letter uh, soliciting, uh, formally soliciting an investment from Rupert Murdoch that she sent him in, at the very end of 2014, and he ended up investing uh, in, the, in the following weeks. And uh, this, this letter mentions that the company uh, is going to stay private for the long term about 16 or 17 times. So, so I think her game was to just stay private and to keep – raising money uh, over and over again and to stay mm. private forever. Wow, classic pyramid scheme. Final question, because we're running crazy late, but uh, what is uh, Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani's likely fate at this point? Well, that's a good question. I think there are two shoes uh, that are going to drop in, in the next couple of months. One is that the, the company is going to run out of money, and, and a private equity firm that loaned it money last year is going to is going to seize its assets and liquidate them, and Theranos will cease to exist, I think, by the end of the summer. And the other thing is that the U.S. Attorney's Office in San Francisco has been conducting a criminal investigation. And as you know, the SEC recently uh, charged her and the company with fraud, and and Sonny Balwani as well. Um, But there's been this parallel criminal probe, and and my sources tell me that that uh, investigation is very well advanced and 
drawing to a, con- to a conclusion and a distinct uh, possibility is that uh, Elizabeth and Sonny will be uh, uh, indicted. Time to dye your hair brown and hire a, a submarine to take you south. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm sure they're uh, keeping an eye on those folks. Uh, John Kerry Rue is a journalist. He's the author of uh, Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. John, enjoyed the chat very much. Terrific book and, and well done. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. And I think Scarlett Johansson's going to play her in the movie, which will probably be based on this uh, book. Wow, really? Yeah. She's going to have to teach herself to talk with a lower voice. Yeah, if you've never heard Elizabeth Holmes, she has an incredibly low voice for a perky little ponytailed blonde girl. It's a little uh, surprising the first time you hear it. Right. But, you know, that's kind of an odd thing to focus on, given the gravity of the fraud. So what was that talent? It's childish, really. What was that talent she had that Steve Jobs has? About suspending oh, yeah, yeah. disbelief. Reality distortion yeah. field. I gotta get better at that. It's like <laughs> it's like convincing your kids of Santa Claus is what it is, right? Only you're doing it with an adults and products. Uh, yeah. 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 A combination of enthusiasm, tech talk that they don't quite get. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And coming off as authoritative. Hmm. Uh text line four one five two nine five KFTC. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Nothing counts so much as blood. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Line. Joe's impersonation of Elizabeth Holmes <laughs> sounds just like his impersonation of Dr. Phil. Wrong. <laughs> They're tone deaf to my uh, skills right. as, a, as a mime. Uh, not a mime. No, no southern a accent mimic. with the, the the San Franciscan compared to the Texan. Uh, completely different. Come on. Yeah. It's, again, it's, I'm performing before, uh, well, it's pearls before swine, really. So if you saw 60 Minutes the other night, they talked about how they would... Sign Dr. Phil. <laughs> they would have investors come in and get their fingers pricked um, and then take them to lunch. Mm-hmm. And then they and they would say, we're going to put it in our fancy machine here that you're investing in, and you go enjoy your lunch. And then doctors would run in, grab the vials, go out and do it the old-fashioned way, and right. test the blood and everything, and then run back in, put it back in the machine, and then they come back from lunch, and I see it. Oh, it's come out. Oh, look at you. <laughs> it's just, I mean, that's just plain. That's just complete. That's like the person who drugged my wild horse. I mean, that's just that level of fraud. Right. Um, also, she once told, she was on PBS and talked about, we've done some work with the people at Johns Hopkins, and demonstrated in that in blood you can see the onset of pancreatic cancer 17 years before a tumor forms. Oh my God, that's amazing! How many lives will that save? Except for it's completely 100 percent made up. So they worked with the folks at Johns Hopkins, and it didn't show that. 60 Minutes contacted Johns Hopkins, said they never collaborated with Theranos on anything about any. So, so not a single aspect of that claim no, was no, true. No, she made it up completely. Wow. What's coming up in your news, Marsha Phillips? Well, we're going to be taking a look at a second special counsel to investigate the Department of Justice and the FBI. Investigation upon investigation. Mm. And the egg a day keeps heart attacks away. And An egg a day, okay. And we have a new Miss USA. Fantastic. Coming up. All, all on the And did she answer a question? I think we have her answering a question, which is a fan favorite here on the Armstrong yes. and Getty Show.
very excited about this newscast because at the end we're going to get into Miss USA news, particularly where they ask the contestants difficult political questions and then give them like 15 (laughs) seconds to answer with weird piano music in the background. Love that. But that's coming up in Marshall Phillips News. Well, President Trump's now hosting South Korean President uh, Moon at the White House. It's a prelude to the big plan meeting with North Korean uh, leader Kim Jong-un next month. Moon opening up the talks today with Trump saying the fate and the future of the Korean Peninsula hinge on it. Both men expected to make some statements a little later on this morning about their meetings and their hopes for the summit. Some GOP lawmakers want a second special counsel to look into the Department of Justice and the FBI. In a Capitol briefing today, New York Republican Lee Zeldin cited allegations that the FBI had an informant in the Trump campaign. Meanwhile, the White House says an independent inspector general will be expanding another new internal investigation of the FBI and the DOJ. So you've got investigations upon investigations going on now. Meanwhile, our friend Gabby Morangello from the uh, Examiner, Washington Examiner, uh, byline she wrote with somebody else today. I think the headline is uh, administration declares DOJ guilty before the investigation has begun. Which is an interesting thing coming from the examiner, but it also it just points up the Trump administer Trump himself his strategy of always going for the big sell in social media, always making the big claim right. and the assertion of confidence just to kind of position the discussion before it's even really begun. You know, I'm so used to that it doesn't even strike me any anymore as uh, as out there. Right, but it's the, just Trump the promoter, the president declaring. The result of an investigation is uh, fairly troubling. Yeah. It would have been five years ago. Well, yeah, it'd be incredibly troubling if it wasn't Trump. As it is, it's probably not healthy. But what comes out of this era, who knows? Imagine George Bush or Barack Obama standing up and talking about an a big investigation and saying, and what they will find is... That the FBI illegally blah, blah, blah. Full disclosure here, Obama did that a couple of times, and I killed him for it, verbally speaking. That's true, where he announced that the IRS didn't do anything wrong before there was an investigation. utterly unforgivable. His uh, pronouncement that the police acted stupidly when his buddy, the professor, got arrested. It was was, was awful. Trump does it. I think he does that all the time. Um, And I understand if you want to accuse me of hypocrisy, I suppose you have a case. At the same time, though, you can't act like you take Trump perfectly seriously all the time and make you seem like a crazy person. No, but that's the same reason why nobody took him seriously when he said there were FBI plants in my campaign. Like, I don't I don't feel bad for the boy who cries wolf for getting eaten by a wolf. (laughs) Fair enough. That is uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. You say stuff all the time. I can't take everything seriously. You're mad at me because I didn't take this one seriously. But it turns out he was right. There was an FBI agent in his campaign. Well, and not they agent, were tapping but phones of people who worked in Trump Tower. Yeah. Right. California lawmakers taking steps to let school employees ask judges to temporarily strip gun rights from potentially dangerous people. The state assembly passed a bill that would allow school employees and co-workers to request gun violence restraining orders against people who show warning signs of violence. Like what? And who makes that determination? And and, and under what situation can you take away my uh, my right to free speech or to assemble or not quarter troops or any of my other rights? Um, because you think I got problems. These are difficult questions. I'd say. Mm-hmm. What is the standard for suspending a constitutional right? 
Turns out... Well, you can't imagine uh, anybody agreeing that he doesn't get free speech because he's kind of nutty. He says nutty things all the time. You'd never... Nobody would stand for that. Or how about you suspend the Eighth Amendment and allow cruel and unusual punishment because he's troubled. I mean, I I get why that's different because it's not a threat to the rest of us, but... All we're doing is pointing out how difficult these decisions are, as I said yesterday, talking about discussions with my kids. Actual policy is much, much more difficult than slogans. Right. Turns out that people who eat an egg a day seem to have a lower risk of heart disease. Although they can't, well, they can't be true. Cholesterol, eggs, never eat eggs, cholesterol, cholesterol. I could eat 50 eggs. No man could eat 50 eggs. In an hour. In an hour? Yeah. You ever wow. seen Cool Hand Luke? He eats 50 yeah, eggs. Right. Paul Newman ate 50 eggs in an hour. In an hour. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> not in a box. <laughs> That's according to a new Chinese study. Adults who had at least one egg every day saw their risk drop by 20%. 20%. Well, wait a minute. That's a Chinese study? Yes. They're communists, Marshall. You can't look to communists for science. Commie science. That's right. (laughs) Red science. That's what I call it. My uncle thinks he's a chicken. Why don't you have him to see a psychiatrist? We could use the eggs. One of the greatest Woody Allen jokes of all time. Certainly. Uh, (laughs) A new Miss USA was crowned last night at the 2018 pageant in Shreveport, Louisiana. Miss USA 2018 is... Nobody cares. Name anybody. Nebraska! We don't care. They leave that pause in there so everybody yeah. can say, there's still a Miss USA pageant? <laughs> right. Sarah, but here's our favorite part of the show. Well, no, wait. Okay. I just want to give her a name because she just said Nebraska. Miss Nebraska, uh, Sarah Rose Summers, 23 years old, hails from Lanky Omaha. Boobington, that's her name. <laughs> now, during the question and Leggy answer. Lanky McTat. <laughs> <laughs> now, during the question and answer, the Q&A yes, period. Yes, this is the part we like. Miss Florida was uh, asked about, well, you can hear it yourself. Sexual assault is an issue at universities across the United States. What do you believe can be done to better protect women on college campuses? Oh boy, here you we have 30 go. seconds go. I believe um, <laughs> in college campuses should have different groups and activities where women can self-defend themselves. And that would be an uh, opportunity for them to be able to make it better. Yes. There uh-huh. you go. So, this is... <laughs> See, you take the, I'm wow. not making fun of her. I am. You take these people who don't speak about this sort of stuff for a living, and then you put them in a position where even people who do speak about it for a living couldn't answer the question because you got 30 seconds. In their underwear. <laughs> in high heels in your underwear. Yeah. I mean, it's just so ridiculous. Right. Now, Miss USA, that was the Trump one. That was the trampier one. Miss, uh, Miss America was always the uh, more uh, wholesome one. Now, I, I do believe her answer had some validity. Like, I think self-defense training available to... Like, if you teach women like jujitsu right like try to rape a purple belt it probably like unless you yourself know how to advance that like self-defense training in in, if they wanted (laughs) rambling explanations of their answers from positive sean in the pageant they would add that and we have miss uh south dakota taking on uh should women be able to vote what kind of question is now we got a topic I think that women are perfectly capable of expressing how they feel, and they should be able to vote, and they 
they should express that um, at the polls. And I think that we need to get out there as women and show that we are perfectly capable of doing that. There you Thank go. You. Standing up for something that's been around for 100 years. <laughs> wow. Oy vey. Again. <laughs> what kind of question is, should women have the right to vote? <laughs> that's hilarious. That's what it is. That's great. Not that poor girl answering it in serious tones. All right. One last note. And- NBA Conference Finals, Warriors, Rockets tonight. Do you think slavery should come back? (laughs) I think slaves should be free and should be able to express their freedom by not being slaves. So should not be slaves to be free. (laughs) Woo! Houston's going to try to bounce back tonight from the most lopsided loss in their postseason history. The 126-85 defeat by the Warriors in Game 3. How are you going to top that? 80-20. That's what the final score is going to (laughs) be. Wow. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Positive, Sean. Any, oh, sorry, Scrocky. Anybody ever scored 200 points in an NBA game? No, not even What's close. the highest ever? 170-something, was it? Or I think 150 in that range. All right. I think there's a triple overtime that was 160-something, but I don't mm. know. I used to look up that sort of thing. Back when the almanac was a thing. Now now that you can look it up on your phone, it takes all the funny out. It used to be. You'd be sitting at the edge of the bar. Somebody would ask a question oh, wow. like that. You might not know for weeks the answer oh, yeah. to that question. And you'd argue bitterly for an hour and a half. Yes. It probably happened in the ABA. What, yeah, what, what a triple overtime game uh, in 1983 between the Pistons and the Nuggets, 186 to 184. Holy cow! Well, you know, everybody was hoping to get that last 14 points. <laughs> the nail-biter. Jeez. <laughs> it came down to the... Last bucket, right? Dang near 200 points. That's a lot of baskets. Joy. A combined 370 points. That's so many. And then you went through what was the 90s when the NBA regularly, a finals game would be 80 to 74. That sort of thing. Lots of defense could hardly make a basket. It was within the rules to slap the other person with a baseball bat when they were shooting. Right. Just choke them out. (laughs) You'd only have one hand on the bat. It wasn't so bad. (laughs) The petering out is coming up next. Poor Miss South Dakota. Should women have the right to vote? (laughs) What? Yes. Next question. (laughs) Can I just turn around and have you all look at my butt again? Yeah. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my that 186-184 NBA game would have been all two-point buckets, says this texture. Was that pre-three-point? Oh. oh, wow. In the 80s, early 80s? So 83, yeah. I don't know when that changed. I don't either. Um, one other uh, TV note. I just saw an ad for it. We were talking about American Idol earlier. No, they had threes there. Okay. That's what I thought, but... The three-point shot adopted in the 1979-1980s. It was longer. It was a lot further back. Um, you used to practically have to stand out of bounds to shoot a three-pointer. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, we were talking about American Idol earlier and how it used to be the the finale was last night and that was a giant television event. Mm-hmm. 40 million people tuned in. Wouldn't miss it. You wouldn't miss it. It was real. And, and, it, and it's not anymore and the show's still on and some people making some comments, but they're going to keep airing it while it makes money. The Survivor finale is sometime this week. I just saw an ad for it. I didn't even know Survivor was still on. Obviously, it still makes enough money. Mm-hmm. To send a bunch of people to an island and film it. Still yeah. enough people watching it. Pretty and cheap from what I understand. way past its prime. 
uh, from when it was a big deal. So American Idol could hang around for a long time. I don't know how long it's worth Ryan Seacrest's time. Well, that reminds me, we ought to talk about Barack and Michelle Obama, TV producers. But uh, we got time tomorrow. Uh, most popular article in the New York Times. Always check that list. Thanks, Meghan Markle. We needed that. One, one editorial observer wrote a column, this uh, biracial woman, about how important that was for America to see a biracial princess something or other. Healing, really? Healing America something or other. Yeah. Wow. All right. Hmm. Okay. It's funny. I was uh, taking in some of the coverage Saturday, I guess, which is it was kind of afterward, but I wasn't going to wake up and deal with it. Um, and And there was a whole lot of that, how wonderful it was and how important it was. And then I also got a headline for this controversy where a German TV network was in trouble because they kept bringing up that she was, you know, partly black and they were being accused of racism. I didn't know fixating on that while the American media was fixating on it because it's so wonderful. I hadn't heard it, but I went out of my way to not take in very much royal wedding news. What is what's her race? She's uh, partly black, partly white, I think. Okay. And I don't care what you are, so I think that's right. Because hmm. I listen to Dr. King, not the uh, preachers of racial division, of every sort of division in modern America. But also, top the tour of the toward the top of the list is the order you usually say that. Uh, on the New York Times, most forwarded popular articles is stop being so hard on yourself, something we've talked about a lot and seems like the mental health community all agrees on this. Uh, Self-criticism takes a toll on you, Mm. and it does you no good whatsoever. I knew I was doing it too much. I'm so stupid. such a moron when it comes to this sort of stuff. Um, I still do it, not as much as I used to. Every time I do it, I catch myself and I scold myself for doing it. Um, But just the, where are my keys? God, I'm an idiot. I can't do anything right. Oh, no. I mean, it's just... It, it doesn't do any good to hear that from a teacher, a mom and dad, a coach. Luckily, I didn't have any of that, but but I say it to myself. Mm. and I, don't, I try to stop my kids from doing it. Not healthy. At the same time, don't we all know some people who are too easy on themselves? Uh, yeah, <laughs> you should say that a few more times. You should, you, you should introduce that to your conversation. How about I'll say it for you? You're an idiot. <laughs> now you repeat it to yourself. I'm an idiot. There you I'll go. I'll tell you when you've overdone it. <laughs> And now it's time for final thoughts with those two hotties, Armstrong and Getty, and the other guys, too. Oh, baby, you're too kind. Here's your host, Joe Getty. Let's get a final thought from everybody. Marshall Phillips, your final thought. Well, uh, now that I've been cleared to resume my training to achieve my goal of 10 push-ups in a row, today I am going home and I will be carrying a board around today to build up my upper body strength and my endurance. Are you really? Yes, I have a magnificent board. I I, I will take a photo of it and make yeah. sure we get it okay. on the website. <laughs> so look forward to that, a photo of a board <laughs> later on today. You claim you're going to have 10 push-ups by the end of next month. Indeed. Not a chance. Indeed. Huh. What did our former boss John say? No effing way he does five. Right. You heard it here first. Right. <laughs> Positive, Sean, your final thought. Yes, my clumsily made point earlier today is if you have a daughter, consider jujitsu classes. That's all. There you go. That's not a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah, here, here. Self-confidence, too. Yes. Good for that. Yes. That's right. Don't look like a victim. Michelangelo, your final thought. I still want to bring my parents in to show them the Armstrong and Getty show. Maybe one Friday, guys. We'll, we'll plan something, but I definitely want to bring them in. Anytime. Just They've asked. remind them they're not allowed to look us in the eyes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Jack, your final thought? 
Yeah, it just popped into my head. My kids, when they were doing karate, that's one of the things they teach them is uh, standing up straight with your head up, not looking like a victim and how less likely you are to be bullied or mm. anything like that just from your posture. Yeah, that's really good And they advice. practice the wimpy kid pose and the strong kid pose. That's, that's good stuff. And my final thought is I'm off to address an esteemed group. At their convention, they've asked me to speak, and uh, I hope they enjoy my presentation. But if they don't, don't worry, I'll keep it short. That's you, the key. Is it a secret what it is? Or? Eh, it's, it's fine. <laughs> you know, there's no reason to either. Uh, Peter, Peter, yeah. I mean, why would you bother? <laughs> Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. I mean, it's not like I, I'm against it, but I just... Uh, <laughs> so many people have had so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. You can email us, follow us on the Twitter. If there's something we ought to be talking about, send it along. You're great at keeping an eye out for us. Will Warriors-Rockets be the close game tonight? We're all hoping for See you tomorrow. God bless America. This is a historic act uh, of uh, devastating incompetence. I will not sugarcoat this. This is a disappointing day for us. Big mistake, but not too bad. The fun level in this room is at an 11 right now, and that brought it down. The ride is over! The time for the clowns and the acrobats and the dancing bears has passed. Get away from here! Get! Get! And we apologize for our stupidity, and we really hope you forgive us for what we've done. Thank you, and good night. Because the show's over! What? Bye-bye. Let employees... In, in an FU chant, and, and uh, uh, that expletive was directed at me. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty, the voice of the West.